Hi, I'm Marty McKenzie with His Love Ministries. Welcome to the Least of These Podcasts. We reach out to those the world has forgotten. If you'd like to know more about us and how you can donate to help us fulfill our mission, go to hisloveministries.net. Thank you very much and God bless you. with care. That's what we got to do every day because he's out there roaming about seeking whom he may devour. We're going to be back in the book of John this morning in chapter 4 and then I hope next week we'll be back on a regular schedule and in one book so we don't keep jumping around but I had a few messages that I wanted that were on my heart, and so today we're going to be in John chapter 4. If you remember the book of John, uh, it's about seven key miracles, seven key signs, uh, the seven I am statements, and Jesus, uh, uh, John sums it all up in John chapter 20, verse 30 and 31, where he says, And truly Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these, these signs are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. The whole purpose of the book of John is that we might believe that Jesus is the Christ, and that believing we might have life in His name. And we're going to talk a little bit about that this morning. In the first chapter we saw Jesus is declared to be God, that He was God in human flesh, and that John said that He was just a voice crying in the wilderness. And when we got to chapter 2, Jesus starts doing His first miracles, and He turns the water into wine, and He takes their... They're empty water pots and says your empty religion is no good. Only Jesus Christ can forgive. Only Jesus Christ can save. And then he goes into the temple and he drives out the the money changers because Jesus was God and the fact that he had zeal for his father's house. He hated sin and he knew what was in people's hearts. And then as we get to chapter 3, We saw that a man named Nicodemus, who was the ruler of the Pharisees, comes to Jesus by night and he speaks to Jesus concerning salvation and and him being a man from God. And and he says, we know, he's talking about for himself and the Pharisees, that we know that you are from God because only a person from God can do these kind of miracles, these signs. And Jesus goes on to tell him about how you must be born again, that you can't get to heaven by good works. And Nicodemus just doesn't seem to get it. He just doesn't get it at all. And he tells him over and over, and then he gives us that famous verse that we all know that God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. That whosoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. And then as we finish up that section, he goes on to say that people don't believe because they don't want to, because they love the darkness rather than the light. And then he 
goes on to talk about how John is fading off the scene and Jesus is coming into the major forefront. And as John finishes up that section, he gives us six reasons why Jesus is superior to himself and why he's superior to everyone else. Today I want to read the first 15 verses of John chapter 4. He says, Therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though John himself did not baptize but his disciples, he left Judea and departed again to Galilee. But he needed to go through Samaria. So he came to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being weary from his journey, sat thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman of Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Then the woman of Samaria said to him, How is it you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For the Jews have no dealing with Samaritans. And Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Then the woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself as well as his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered and said to her, Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I give him will never thirst. But the water that I give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. The woman said to him, Sir... Give me this water that I may not thirst nor come here to draw. So as we begin this section of Scripture, it's a long section of Scripture, but he says, Therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, he leaves Judea and he departs again to Galilee. What's the first thing we see here? We see, first of all, that Jesus knows the hearts of men. We saw that back in chapter 2 that he did not need to be told what was in the heart of man. But he knows that the Pharisees have heard. He's been here probably about six months right alongside John the Baptist making disciples and baptizing them. And he knows that they have heard. Now Jesus leaves not because he's afraid of the Pharisees But if you remember, many, many times in this book and in the Gospels, Jesus always says, my hour is not yet come. Jesus was appointed to die on a particular day during the Passover at a particular time. And until that time came, he was not going to do anything to jeopardize that timetable. Because being the Lamb of God, he was supposed to die on the Passover. At the same time they were killing all those little lambs, the same time they were doing that Passover feast, because he is the ultimate Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And so he cannot die, and he will not die, 
until that time happens. We see many times he walks through the crowd and he disappears or he leaves or he walks right through them and nobody can touch him. But here, he's not wanting to jeopardize that. He's not wanting to cause a confrontation. And so when he knows that they're going to try to do more, mess with him some more, remember they've already messed with John, right? They sent people out and ultimately they end up having John killed. Maybe they were the one that set him up so that uh, he confronted Herod about his wife. But they went out into the wilderness and said, Who are you and why are you doing this? They're fixing to come after Jesus. And so Jesus, knowing that they're going to start more trouble, he leaves. And it says that they had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John. Yeah, I was thinking about that, how the Bible tells us to, in Matthew 28 to go and make disciples and baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, right? And the key word there in that section is to make disciples. And that's what Jesus is doing here. He's making disciples. That word disciple means a learner. Somebody that's following Jesus, somebody that truly, truly knows Jesus and is learning about Him. And the baptism comes after you learn who Jesus is. Baptism doesn't save you, but baptism is a sign that you have been saved. Because He says He made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus Himself did not baptize, but His disciples if salvation was dependent on baptism, I think Jesus would have baptized. 1 Corinthians 1.17, Paul says, For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with words of wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be made of no effect. And so Jesus is making and baptizing disciples. And then it says here, He left Judea, and he departed again to Galilee. We don't know how many times he's been to Galilee, but he's headed again to Galilee. But he says he needed to go through Samaria. The old King James, I remember, says he must needs go through Samaria. In other words, he had a divine appointment there. He needed to go through there. If you know anything about the, the Jews and the Samaritans, they hated each other, right? The Jews were the full-blooded people of God, and the Samaritans were what were considered to be the half-breeds. They were the mongrel race. They were the ones that weren't the purebred. And remember, God had said not for the, for the Jews not to mix with anybody. But when Babylon came along and captured the Jews and took them off, and he left most of the cities empty. They would leave some people behind to keep up the city and leave a few of them behind. And those people would be grateful to the people that left them there. And they wouldn't leave the leaders or anything, but they would leave some of the poor folks, some of the people that really couldn't cause any problems. But as those people were there, they would come along and more people would move into the area and what happened was a lot of people from a lot of different areas moved in and when they moved in they started intermarrying and then they started 
getting mixed families. The Jews hated them. Plus the Samaritans caused all kinds of problems for the Jews. I think that guy Sanballat Tobias Tobiah in the book of Nehemiah, I think those guys were Samaritans. And so the Samaritans had kind of set up their own area of religion. Jews basically avoided Samaria. If they wanted to go to Galilee, they would walk all the way around Samaria. They wouldn't go through Samaria because they hated Samaritans. And the Samaritans hated them. I mean, they just hated each other. So here's Jesus. He's going to break down all barriers. He's going to go straight through Samaria to get to Galilee. But the reason he's going to go is because he has a divine appointment with a woman at a well. So he needs to go through Samaria if he's going to meet this woman. And so he says, So he came to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar. Now, this place today is probably called Neapolis. Uh, it's also called Shechem. But it's uh, the capital for the Samaritans. It's a place that Abraham stopped when he first went to Haran, from Haran to Canaan. It's a place that God first appeared and promised to give give the land to the seed. It's the place where Abraham first built an altar to the Lord and called upon his name. It was also the place where they assembled at his death and renewed the covenant with the Lord, with Joshua. It's a place now where the gospel is going to be first shared with a Samaritan woman. Because see, the gospel's for everyone, right? And that what it said back in, in John 3.16? What we're seeing played out here is Nicodemus was the highest of the high. He was the elite of the elite of the Jews of the Pharisees. He comes to Jesus. And Jesus tells him the gospel. And now guess what? He's going to go to the lowest of the low. This woman who's had five husbands and is now living with another man. He's going to go to her, a Samaritan woman, a half-breed, a hated person by the Jews. So he's going to hit both levels, the top of the food chain, the people that are most important, and then he's going to go to the lowest of the low and to let us know that the gospel is for everyone who believes. For everyone who believes. It's not just for a few But it's for everyone who believes. As we look at this section of Scripture, we're going to see now that he comes to that city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now this place is also the place where Jacob had bought his field, and he gives this land to his son Joseph, and Joseph's bones are buried in this piece of land. And so here is a place that has been mightily used of God. It's a place where people were faithful. It's a place where people have shown that they trusted Christ or trusted God and looked to Him for everything that He could do for them. And now Jesus is going to share the gospel. And it's going to be another first here. So it says, Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, 
sat thus by the well, it was about the sixth hour. Now Jesus was wearied by his journey. Now we don't know whether this is really 12 o'clock noon or whether this is 6 o'clock at night. We really don't know because John usually uses the Roman system of time. If he was using the Jewish system of time, it would be 12 noon. But a lot of times John uses the, the Roman system of time and it would have been 6 o'clock at night. Now, this woman is there and if he's been walking all day long, he's tired, he's hungry, he's weary. Now notice John is showing the humanity of Christ here too because Jesus, remember, is all God. But he's also all man, right? And even though he's God in human flesh, he's also God who also has that human flesh. And he gets tired, he gets hungry, he gets lonely, he gets weary, he gets emotional. He weeps over Lazarus. And here's the human side of Jesus. That he cares for people. That he loves people. And yet, he gets tired and he gets hungry. And so he says, he sat thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour. And it says, a woman of Samaria came to draw water. And Jesus said to her, give me a drink. Now this is a polite request. He's not saying, give me a drink like nastily. But he says, please give me a drink is basically what he's saying. It says next that the disciples, for his disciples, had gone away in the city to buy food. Now Jesus must have trained his disciples to love everybody too because they were all Jews too, remember? And or most of them were. And here they are going into the city of Samaria to buy some food. Now you wouldn't have even went into Samaria, much less ate their food. And we're going to see in a minute, Jesus is going to do something even, even more taboo, as people would say. And then the woman of Samaria said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask me, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For the Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Now, first of all, she, she knows he's a Jew. Maybe it's by the way he talks. Maybe it's by the way he dresses. We don't know. But it just know, we just know that she recognizes that he's a Jew. And then she says, How is it you, being a Jew, are going to ask a drink of me, a Samaritan woman? What that word means is when she says, You ask a drink of me, she's talking about that you're going to drink out of the same vessel that I am and that, that you're going to get me, a Samaritan woman, to get you a drink? And guess what? The Jews didn't even talk to Samaritans. Now, if you remember anything about the Jewish men, they had three prayers. I don't know if I remember all three of them, but, number, but one of them was, thank God I'm not a Gentile. And the second one was, I thank God I'm not a woman. That's what the Jewish men used to pray. And a lot of people called Paul and some of these folks uh, male chauvinist pigs. But Jesus, you remember who the first person that Jesus appears to after he's resurrected? A woman, right? The first person he, appear, he shares the gospel with here is a woman. 
And so he is tearing down all the cultural barriers because everyone is important. Remember back in these days, back in this culture, women weren't treated very well. And I know they historically haven't been treated very well in a lot of areas, even today. But you know, the bottom line is, is Jesus is saying, everybody's important. Everybody's important. Even this Samaritan woman who's had five husbands and is living with another man. The Jews, they wouldn't speak to a woman. Now the Jewish rabbis and the leaders, they wouldn't even look at a woman. They wouldn't speak to a woman. It said that some of them, they wouldn't even speak to their daughters or their, or their wives out in public. And they definitely wouldn't speak to another woman out in public. And then if you were a Jewish leader or a rabbi, you wouldn't speak to another woman at all. And then you sure wouldn't speak to a Samaritan woman. Here Jesus is tearing down all the barriers, every single one of them, and saying, hey, this woman is important. This woman, Jesus, is going to die for her. Jesus looks at her and he says, if you knew the gift of God and who it is says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. What does he say to her? If you knew the gift of God, what is the gift of God? That's right, everlasting life, right? The Bible says in Ephesians 2, 8, 9, you're saved by grace through faith. It is the gift of God, not a works, lest anyone should boast. And so the Bible says that the gift of God is eternal life, right? He says here that, and if you knew who it is that says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him. First of all, she, she doesn't understand the fact that what the gift of God is, eternal life. And then second of all, she doesn't really realize that this is Jesus. This is the Savior of the world. This is the Messiah. This is the promised one who was promised for many, many centuries to come and He would be the Savior of the world. And He says, I would have given you living water, bubbling water. And He's really speaking about the Holy Spirit. I will give you eternal life, right? I will give you eternal life. And then the woman says to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. When she gets to this point where she says, You have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep, guess what? The Jews definitely wouldn't drink or use the same bucket or the same utensils to drink water. And she's saying, you going to use my bucket, my utensils? Is basically what she's saying. You, you're really out there, Jesus. Because the Jews and the Samaritans different, definitely wouldn't use the same utensils, the same drinking cup. And then he says here, the well is deep. And from what I understand, that well's about 100 feet deep. So you at least had to have a bucket and you had to have a long string, right? And then he says, where then do you get that living water? She doesn't get it either. This is just like Nicodemus. Nicodemus doesn't get it. She's not getting it. She just doesn't understand. He's not talking about temporal things, about earthly things, but he's talking about heavenly things. 
And that was what he was doing with Jesus. I mean, with Nicodemus. And, and this woman doesn't get it either. And then she turns to ancestry. A lot of us were proud of our ancestry. And maybe we have a reason to be. Folks talk about coming over on the Mayflower or this or that and the other. You know what? I'm a son of Jesus Christ. He's my ancestor. And that, that's the one you need to be proud of. Because we all probably got a few black sheep in our family whether we want to admit it or not. Here, what Jesus is trying to do is He's trying to draw her out, get her to understand the truth, but she goes on to more earthly things. Are you greater than my ancestor, Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as well as his sons and his livestock? I mean, she brings up the sons and the livestock, you know? I mean, you know, Jacob's great because he found a well. Remember, this is a desert country. Jacob was a great man. And you know what? She says, are you greater than him? Because he made this well, he dug this well, he found this well. And then Jesus answered and said to her, whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. You know, Jesus is telling them, say, look, you can drink this water all day long and you're going to still get thirsty again. But you know what? If you drink of the living water, and then what he says here, but the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into eternal life. And so basically what Jesus says is that the water I give you will satisfy you. You know, there's many, many songs been written. There's many, many people been searching in life for something to satisfy the innermost needs of our soul. You know, we, sat, we seek satisfaction through money and relationships and, and houses and cars and friends and, you know, all the things of this world. But none of those things ever satisfy only Jesus can satisfy. He's trying to help her understand that nothing in this world will satisfy but Jesus. And he says that once I put the Holy Spirit in you, once I put that living water in you, you will be satisfied. The deepest needs of your heart will be met. Some of y'all have seen that picture before that I show the lady with the hole where her heart sat and She's got four little old birds in there and they're all saying, feed me. And up at the top it says, secretly starving. You know, that's a picture of all of us. That's a picture of all of us without Jesus Christ. Y'all remember that famous mathematician named Pascal? Well, most people don't talk about this, but Pascal said that every man and every woman has a God-shaped vacuum in their life. And the only thing that can fill that hole is Jesus. Isn't that what that is? That's a hole where your heart's at. It's a hole where Jesus goes. And the only thing that will fill you up, the only thing that will satisfy you is Jesus Christ. He is the only one. And until we trust Christ, this woman said that she was seeking satisfaction in all kinds of worldly things. But she found out when she trusted Christ that only Christ satisfies and that's what Jesus is trying to get this lady to understand. That she has a need. That she has a want in her life. That she does not 
have satisfaction, but all she can think about is earthly things. And the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water that I may not thirst or come here again to draw. See, there she is again, right down to the earthly things. Sir, give me this water that I may not thirst or come again here to draw. In other words, you're going to fix my problem. I don't have to come to this well anymore. I don't have to walk back and forth and tote this water bucket. I don't have to come over here and, and drink water every time I get thirsty. And it being a desert country, you have to drink a lot, right? She's still thinking of earthly things. She's still thinking in earthly terms. She still doesn't understand. And Jesus, the next time we'll see, is going to get to the heart of the matter. Her sin. And all of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That's what the Bible says. And when we come back next week, we'll see again that Jesus is going to draw her out and He's going to talk to her about the deepest need of her heart. That she's messed up. We're all messed up. And without Jesus, we all come short of the glory of God. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you. We praise you for your mercy and your grace. And we just thank you that that you are the water of life, that you're the living water, and that only you can satisfy. Lord, we love you. We thank you for your mercy, your grace. We thank you for that indescribable gift as Paul said thanks be to God for that indescribable gift the gift of salvation father we thank you for that we pray today that if there's even one that doesn't know that that doesn't understand as the woman at the well didn't that they have a need a longing in their heart that they need to be saved that they must be born again that they're not going to make it to heaven unless they ask God to forgive them and ask God to save them because you died in their place and you died for their sins, Lord Jesus. I help. I ask today that you would help them to trust in you today because you said none could come unless the Father draws them. Draw all men unto you today and all women today. So, Father, we love you, we thank you, and we praise you for what you've done in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Hi, I'm Marty McKenzie with His Love Ministries. Please help us reach out to those the world has forgotten. Everyone we minister to is locked up in some way, shape, or form. Some are locked up in bodies that don't work and in the nursing home facility, in the wheelchair, the bed they cannot get out of. We minister to children and youth who are locked up because of behavioral problems or their parents. They aren't doing right and their cries, we want to have a real family. Other kids are locked up because they've committed crimes. We also minister to those locked up in the jail and the prison, to those locked up in addictions, to drugs, alcohol, depression and suicidal thoughts and a variety of other things that keep them from becoming who Jesus wants them to be. He came to give us life and to set us free and these folks are not free but we can set them free through Christ Jesus at least in their minds and their spirits. We minister in the local area of Savannah, Georgia and surrounding Effingham and Chatham. We do about 2,000 services every year. We hope and pray that you'll support us in some way so we can continue our mission. Go to hisloveministries.net and click on the donate now button. And we hope and pray that you will do that. Thank you and God bless you.